Hello, welcome to the Farm Commons podcast, where we make farm law accessible and actionable for sustainable farmers and ranchers, as well as their networks of support. I'm Benita. And I'm Kate. In each episode, we explore real legal issues faced on farms every day and provide key knowledge and tangible solutions to help you grow a thriving agricultural business. From managing liability to navigating tough conversations with landlords and neighbors, we've got your back. Let's get started. Okay, welcome back to our podcast, everybody, and thanks for joining us today. You probably heard a new voice there in our intro, and um, if you're wondering who that was, I'm really thrilled to introduce you to my colleague, Benita. She is the Farm Commons Communications Manager and will be joining us for five special episodes that will round out our series on crop insurance. Hi, everyone, and that's right. Kate, I'm so happy to be here and to dive right into our new five-part series. Today's episode is the first episode in a series of five dedicated to exploring how farmers and ranchers manage operational risk with crop insurance. So over the past few weeks, Benita and I have been hosting virtual listening sessions with farmers and ranchers from around the country to hear how they use their creative power to make strategic risk management decisions for their farm and discuss how, if at all, using a particular type of farm insurance supported their operational needs. So in today's episode, you will hear us share how some farmers and ranchers felt supported by the microfarm policy and the whole farm revenue protection, which you will hear us call WFRP for short. And you'll also hear how other farmers and ranchers did not feel supported by those. Every farmer and rancher uses different risk management tools, and that is a beautiful thing that we really try to celebrate here at Farm Commons. The bottom line, is that everyone needs to have access to tools and information so that we can make decisions that are best for our operational needs. And that is what uh, we're trying to explore in this series. Absolutely, Kate. If y'all been around Farm Commons for a while, you've heard us speak about creative power. Fundamentally, creative power is about our ability to influence the world around us through strong relationships, sound information, and trust in the solutions we create. And I loved the conversations that we had with farmers and ranchers because they were so full of creative power. And I think it just really showed me how amazing things happen when farmers and ranchers get together to talk. Exactly, Kate. Today, we'll explore how the farmers and ranchers we talked with are using their creative power to make informed choices for their operations by examining insurance policies like the microfarm program and deciding if it meets their needs. We'll also imagine together ways y'all might think about exercising your own creative power as we explore if microfarm is right for operation. But before we begin with what we learned, let's start with a 30-second recap of what microfarm and WFRP are. Okay, yeah, we'll do this pretty quickly, and I'll just say that um, we did have an earlier episode called Episode 47, Crop Insurance Options for Diversified Farm and Ranches, and that is where we really discussed how WFRP and the microfarm program provide protection on diversified farms. 
That's right, Kate. We also noted that WFRP covers almost all crops with the exception of controlled substances and that it allows some value-added products to be covered under the same policy as crops. The new microfarm opportunity only requires farmers to show three years of farm tax history instead of five. Yes. So in summary, the microfarm policy is kind of um, hoping to appeal more and uh, be less burdensome for diversified, smaller diversified farms. That said, folks will really get m- the most out of this episode if you go back and listen to episode 47 first. So I recommend starting there. Thanks, Kate. I'm feeling really inspired by that grounding back into our creative power. And I think it's a really great place to transition into discussing what we learned in our listening sessions and how farmers around the country are using their creative power to decide if WFRP and or microfarm is right for their operational needs. Kate, I'm wondering, can you set the stage for us? You know, I like a good stage setting. How do some farmers and ranchers decide if microfarm is right for their operation? Yes. I will set the stage. So we're in Zoom and we've got um, around six farmers for this session who are in the room with us. And uh, we shared the episode 47 audio and listened to it together and had a kind of community listening session and then got some responses from the attendees. And some were beginning farmers, others had more experience, some had small scale operations and others had larger scale operations. But every one of them was interested in learning more about understanding and accessing better risk management tools for their farm and ranch. And what feels obvious to point out, but still important to note, is that this interest actually propelled them to actively seek education about their options. Exactly, Kate. It reminds me of what we said earlier, that amazing things happen when farmers and ranchers talk to one another in a Zoom room or in real life. Farmers and ranchers, y'all are so wise. And Microfarm and WFRP are created for diversified farms. Microfarm in particular sought to lower the barrier to entry by reducing paperwork. Some farmers that we talk to are glad that it is a start, and others are still cautious and have questions. Let's listen in to what farmer Ian, a market farmer based in New Mexico, and Californian farmer Gideon shared with us about their process in examining the microfarm policy. How I can see this plan fitting into our business plan is like, so we grow 30 different things. And for example, they each, we each grow 3,000 for each item produce, right? And like, not all 30 are going to hit. And sometimes we do have full failures and it'd be awesome to not lose all 3,000 that. So it's like the example would be, we lost five crops. Can we get can we get eighty percent of the fifteen thousand that we lose, and then in that case, that seven thousand dollars for the policy would would pay for itself essentially, which seems great. And so that would that's the first question. That's the main thing that popped into my mind in terms of like, is that a val- Would this be valuable for us? I've got a I work with some multiple farmers besides our own farm, and 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 one of the other farmers I work with is like. Um, he stripped down the number of things he used to grow 30 now only goes three or four or five and so that also I was thinking about him and, and he wants to scale up from like under an acre to to his full four or five acres that he's got and he could really take advantage of the of the farm of having crop insurance like this to offset his risk of quadrupling his scale mm, i appreciate how Ian really processed out loud with us as he absorbed the information about microfarm. And uh, revisiting that quote, it 
It sounds like he's initially arrived at a place where he's curious to learn more about the program and um, and thinks that it, it might actually help him with on his specific operation. But let's hear from Gideon, who uh, followed up Ian's comment right afterwards. I have an observation that that I listened to and, and kind of caught on here. So so we we have four crops uh, that the USDA would recognize as a crop. And we have many different varieties of some of them, but we have four crops and we grow many of them once throughout the year. Mm. And so as my as compared to some of my peers who might grow multiple iterations of, of carrots or leafy greens or something, we're growing peppers and we put them in the ground once and then we harvest them in October. And so catastrophic weather events uh, can happen in California and anywhere. And so it sounds like what USDA has done is they've, they've like, they've started to get down to actually being able to service some of the diversified farms, right? It sounds like they've gone from like the massive soy producers to someone like me who might actually benefit from this because I have four crops. But for Ian, it, it might not actually help you because your, your, your crop variety is so massive that the record keeping, which I think they tried to adjust and, and some of the other challenges I was hearing might not, it might not work, which is just kind of interesting to hear that progression and how they're like trying to get to helping people, but, but maybe missing the mark still a little bit. Wow. I just really appreciated what Gideon offered there. And for all our listeners out there, you can hear that the process of identifying whether or not a risk management tool is right for you can be complicated. I love how thoughtfully both farmers, Ian and Gideon, shared their process with us, how both of them are also thinking about the risk management tools needed in their community as well. For farmer Ian, that looked like thinking about his farming friend. And for farmer Gideon, that looked like not only assessing how these coverages might work for his operation, but also thinking critically about how these coverages might have barriers to access for folks. This feels important to note because it speaks again to how risk management tools that work for some farmers and ranchers might not speak to everyone. And that's okay. While farmers Gideon and Ian had some curiosity about the microfarm program, other farmers might have hesitations about expense. Let's listen in to what Californian farmer Leslie thinks about the microfarm program. Uh, I don't know. I think it's expensive. Um, however, you know, I'm maybe I feel like I'm low risk. I don't know. The other thing that always gets my, uh, you know, thinking cap on is USDA. So are they going to control that insurance in any other way? Are they going to want to know more about your farm? I mean, we grow non-genetically modified seeds. We, um, in general, and uh, we're a regenerative farm, you know, are we going to have to be under any sort of guise of the USDA? That always worries me. So, I like Farmer Leslie's story because oftentimes farmers and ranchers have a variety of reasons for why they choose to engage in a risk management tool or not. And for Leslie, the combination of barriers, including expense and potential government oversight, plus her own understanding that her farm was low risk, was enough for her to think that maybe she didn't need microfarm coverage. And these barriers aren't new to us in the agricultural world. 
finances, time, energy, hesitations about programs that are perceived to be governmental. Uh, these are all important and valid concerns. And while RMA is privately administered, we know some farmers might still be concerned about the program because it might seem governmental. Each of these concerns is incredibly valid, and they're important for farmers and ranchers to weigh as they make their decision. Exactly, Kate. And that's what I really want to emphasize. Choosing not to use a particular risk management tool is a powerful decision. For this farmer, Leslie was making an informed decision based on her understanding of her unique situation. She had assessed her farm's risk, and she was attending a listening session to learn more about what options were available to her and to hear the wisdom of her peers. Leslie and many farmers ask questions, and then they make an informed decision that feels right for their operation. Each one of these practices is powerful, and this farmer was using their power to carefully find ways to practice risk management. And that's what we at Farm Commons want to uplift. Farmers and ranchers becoming informed, sharing y'all's wisdom with and looking out for your peers and using your creative power to make legally resilient decisions for your operation. Yes. And I think it can be so easy to look at insurance coverages and risk management tools and feel overwhelmed. So I really appreciate that reframing back into our creative power. And as I listen to you talk, Benita, I think that this scenario probably resonates with some of our listeners that consider their operations low risk, have hesitations about applying for federally funded programs, or just relate to that barrier of expense. Absolutely, Kate. I think what's important to remember here is that each of us can make powerful decisions, and oftentimes we need each other's wisdom to help us become even more informed and powerful. For example, I'm thinking about how in episode 47, we shared that listeners could actually estimate their liability, premium cost, federal subsidy, and rate they'd pay by using RMA's cost estimator calculator on their website. But during our session together, farmers tried to use this calculator, and this is what they found. Let's listen in. I clicked through to the calculator, um, the link that you had in the show notes of the podcast that you posted in the chat, and um, it's everything you'd imagine on a federal government website aimed towards commodity growers who have probably been filling it out for 20 years. Um, that is clunky. I have no idea what I'm looking at. Um, uh, so uh, hopefully the paperwork to apply for those programs isn't reflective. You know, the calculator isn't reflective of how cumbersome that stuff would be. Um, yeah, I got multiple error messages and then I gave up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I got to say, so I glad just. glad you guys did that. <laughs> Because when she said USDA, I was like, oh, oh boy. <laughs> okay, y'all, that calculator sounds so frustrating. And I admit, upon first listening to Farmers Ian and Gideon, it was easy for me to think something like, okay, great, here we go again with another government tool that is complex to use and in this case didn't work. Perhaps some of our listeners have that same inclination or experience too. And I get it, that is totally valid, y'all. But 
I'd like to offer a little bit more here too about what we might miss if we leave that as our only takeaway. First, we'd miss what has just happened in community. Farmers Gideon and Ian were able to do three key things. They were able to understand and realize that their experience with the calculator was not isolated. Was not isolated, y'all. Second, they were able to share that information in real time with the other peers on the Zoom call so that others could make an informed choice about whether or not they wanted to use the calculator. And third, they were able to use their creative power to make powerful choices. Consider Farmer Gideon. He made an informed, powerful choice to give up on the calculator, much like our farmers who considered their farm low risk. Farmer Gideon decided that he could spend his energy and time on something else. Totally. And powerful decisions might not solve the problem of farmers needing an accurate cost estimator, but it does help us think creatively about other ways we can use our creative power to achieve our goals. So what can our farmer listeners do in the interim? First, you know, these are just a few options um, that you can choose to act on or not because of that creative power. But first, you can call a peer who may have had whole farm revenue protection or has microfarm coverage and ask about their, their plan and their coverage. You can also look at the RMA benchmarks and calculate the cost of coverage for yourself in order to make an informed decision about whether to pursue more information. You could reach out to RMA directly and ask them to provide some troubleshooting. Or, totally valid, you could opt to ditch the calculator completely. The bottom line is that as a farmer, you have choices available to you and that these are just some of the options you have. You have the power to ask hard questions and you have the power to decide if an option isn't right for your needs. And so, Benita, as I reflect on hearing from farmers Ian, Gideon, and Leslie, I'm thinking about how powerful it is for farmers to hear from other farmers about their experiences and the power of our collective voice. Yes, Kate, yes. Thanks for that creative power reminder. Y'all are sensing a theme here. Creative power, you got it. And recentering us back into our communal wisdom. As I'm listening to you share out ways farmers can have these conversations, I'm also imagining some other communal opportunities that could help make informed decisions. For example, for all y'all farmers in the audience today that might have the time and space to do it, consider hosting a potluck or morning coffee at your farm. Invite others to research with you at the same time. While sales for the micro farm program of WFRP closed on January 31st and, and February 28th, and the next time it closes is March 15th, depending on your county, don't worry. There is still so much time to think about purchasing WFRP or the micro, micro farm program for next year. So maybe you can work with a local farm insurance agent. Consider reaching out to them and asking them to host a learning session with an insurance agent that can offer one-on-one -on -one guidance. Or if you're like, ah, oh, I need some other ideas, perhaps if you're friends with an insurance agent, you could host your own learning session with a few of your peers. Or you could do some research online about any upcoming online event about the microfarm program. 
The bottom line, y'all, is that we can be creative. Yep, you knew I was going to say it. We can be creative about how we get the answers that we need, and we can rely on each other to help us get there. Sometimes, of course, that means patience. It might take time to hear back from our insurance agents. It might take time to hear back about whether or not it is possible to have a listening session. And of course, it takes time to write emails and ask for what we need. But by using our voice, by asking our hard questions, friends, by reaching out, we are stepping into our power. And I think that's something we can celebrate. Yes. Thank you, Benita, for those practical suggestions and uplifting words as always. And thank you for exploring with me today how some farmers and ranchers are experiencing Microfarm and WFRP and using their creative power to build legally resilient strategies for their operations. To our listeners, we'd love to hear from you. What has your experience been with Microfarm? As always, we appreciate your time and look forward to next time. Bye! Bye. We're so glad you joined us for this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. If you are looking for more resources on your burning farm law questions, visit our website at farmcommons.org for a variety of workshops, guides, checklists, tutorials, and more. You can also email your questions and comments to info at farmcommons.org. Stay tuned for our next episode, and until then, keep growing. This material is funded in partnership by USDA Risk Management Agency under award number RMA22CPT0012392.